I'd like to have Psalm 84 open in front of you. And our text this evening is found in verses 5 through 7. And uh, we're looking at how do we know direction in the darkness, particularly when we're in those valleys. And uh, we began to consider this morning how the psalmist wants to make it clear that nothing in this world compares with knowing God and being in his presence and worshipping him and being with the Lord's people. And he begins the psalm by saying, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. And we also said that he ends the psalm by saying, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And so all that transpires throughout this psalm emphasizes that truth. That's the theme that has captivated his heart, that it is such a privilege to know the Lord and to be under his hand and to rest in his kindness and to know his direction and his leading and his provision. And the psalmist is speaking really about what true religion is, true Christianity, a real living personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we said that, you know, there are many people who've got their ideas about Christianity their ideas about religion, but when you hold them up against God's Word and the light of God's Word, the Bible, they are exposed as being so far from the truth, so far away from the precious truths that we find, so far away from the gospel. Because true biblical Christianity is to know God, not just to know about Him, but to know Him and to walk with him, and to have that communion with him, and to know that he is your father, to know Christ as Savior, to know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, we said so many times, whilst we must know and believe certain truths about God, it is more than just knowing about God, it is knowing him. I can't impress that upon you enough. And it is still a, a concern sometimes when you speak to people and they know about the Lord and they even know the gospel, they can tell you about the gospel, but is there that life there, that, that real relationship? And that's the thing that is key. And so knowing God in such a way that like the psalmist, you can speak to God with confidence, as he says in verse 3, my king, my God. There's a, a closeness, there's an intimacy. And as a result, because he knows God, he longs for God, he wants to commune with God. Look at verse 2. My soul longs. Yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You know, he's not apathetic. He's not cold to these things. Friends, do you know anything of that? To long for God. Because the psalmist says that this is what it's all about. This is the key thing. It's not just morality, although knowing God transforms your life to one live for his glory. But it's the reality of having a living, vital relationship with him. And thankfully, as we considered this morning, the psalmist points us exactly to the place where that relationship can be known and established. Look in verse 3, he points us to the altars. He points us to the sacrifice. And obviously that points to Jesus. And we have to start here because we, we cannot know God but through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is through him alone that is the way in which we can know God as our Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the one who has made the way open to sinners through his death upon the cross. And there is no knowledge of God except in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Isaiah 53, 10 tells us that he made his soul an offering for sin. He went to that cross as the substitute. He died in the place of those who would trust in him so that their sins can be dealt with and they can be right with God. And so this psalm, it brings us to start in the right place in these great truths of salvation. And then it's on that foundation that then the psalmist goes to dwell upon the benefits and the, the blessings of such a position. To know God, to know his hand upon us. And leading into this verses, we can see that the, the psalmist is expressing a longing for God, worship of God, it's on his heart. And uh, we saw this morning that lovely picture of the sparrow and the swallow, and that points to the reality in Christ, we can know God, and we can know that spiritual home with God. But then the psalmist moves on to a, another picture, to illustrate his experience and the experience of the true believer. And he really takes us to a, a place where there is some darkness and some difficulty. And it's clear that the psalmist is writing in the midst of some distress. And so in that situation that he's facing, it is clear that, that his strength to face that lies in the object of his trust not in himself. In other words, he is focused upon the Lord of hosts. And so he has discovered him at the altar, as it were, has found the way to him, and so his strength is in the Lord through all of the uh, elements of life, through all of the struggles of life. And as he declares in verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Now, it's interesting in that verse that the translators should use the word pilgrimage. It's right to denote that there's a specific destination to which the heart is headed, but the actual meaning of the word in the original is the, the laying down of a deliberate road. So a path is made. In other words, blessed is the man in whose heart has been made a highway or a road. You think of Proverbs 16, verse 7, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. And you say, well, but what, does, what does that mean? What does the psalmist mean? What is the picture? What is he wanting us to learn? Well, he's speaking of how the, the believer, the one who knows God, has a clear direction in their lives. One of the great blessings of being a Christian is that we have been given our identity in Christ. We're not searching around for who we are or what we are. We know that we are in Christ, we are united to him, and our identity is bound up in him. And because of that, we have been given a, a clear order and direction in our lives. Think of how the psalmist puts it, the heart of the person who is not a Christian is therefore like a pathless wilderness. So maybe you've been to a place where, you know, it's been untouched for a long time. I remember when we first moved into uh, Quillet Road, there was a lot that had grown over. 
and uh, down the side it was like you know trying to work your way through a jungle and uh, you know when you're faced with something like that you you have to work your way through the barrage and the all manner of growth and it's difficult to see the way forward there's no path and you know you have to try and beat a way through but you're you're unaware of what you're going to find or the outcome and so direction and purpose is difficult to see and the psalmist contrasts the heart of the believer with this. And so you have this picture, the heart of the unbeliever is tangled, it's mixed up, there's confusion about what lay ahead, there's all manner of things going on. And then of course there are the ups and the downs and the hills and the valleys and they come as a surprise and they're caught off guard. And when you begin to think of that, you begin to see what the heart of the unbeliever is like as a, as a consequence of sin and a consequence of the fall. You know, those who, who don't know the Lord and are, are not believers generally don't have that overriding view of the world as we considered this morning. You often find that there are muddled views, there are inconsistencies. And there are a reaction to circumstances alone. There are lots of thoughts, but there isn't much clarity. And so life is tangled and confused and everything seems to be mixed up. And at worst, without purpose and meaning. You know, I like to read biographies. And so often when you read a folk, you see that life is lived purely day by day without anything really that connects all the days together. And then, you know, there's these crises that come along and they're thrown off guard and, the, and so a career ends or relationship breaks down and the chosen escapes from reality crash down and there's no understanding and what, what was thought to be life and living life wasn't and they were just existing and then often there's depths of despair. And we've already said today, you know, the big questions of life, you can't escape them. You know, what am I doing here? What is man? What, what is life really about? What are the longings that I feel? Why do I feel that restlessness? Why do I sometimes sense that there must be more to life? But you know, you find that rather than seek answers, all that's buried and throw themselves in some new direction. Anything but Christ. Don't want Christ. And here is this life and so little purpose and this life throws at them what it will and sometimes it's good and sometimes and more often than not it's not so good and often it's attributed to fate, whatever that is. And they feel like victims of circumstances and they're not in control and there's no direction and they don't know where life is going to take them or where it will lead them. And for all the surface attempts at happiness, the emptiness still remains. And society's great, and the successful ones in the world's eyes, they're still empty. And before they know it, they can only ever look back to what was, what might have been, nothing encouraging to look forward to, because this world seems to be it for them. They had their moment, and then what? The road that they were on has taken them so far, but then it's come to an end. And what then? No steady purpose. And when the, the pathless heart and life is hit with a crisis, there's nowhere to go. And so whether it's illness or loss or trouble, what do they do? And they, they might try and have some idea of, of something or someone greater, but, but how do they, they find it? Or then they, they, there's no path, and so there's a blindness. And all their burdens lay heavy upon them. 
And so many people find themselves in a, a position like that. Maybe you're in a position like that tonight. I wonder if you've ever considered your life and, and the meaning of your life, its purpose. Do you know where you're headed? Do you have an understanding of where you're headed? Does your life have that clarity of direction? Do you have a clear path which you are heading along to find an ultimate source of help? Or are you lost and wandering around and not knowing what to do? It's a great tragedy to see men and women in such a state, the result of sin. And the sadness is that there is a destination to which they're headed and they don't realize it. The reality of hell and eternal condemnation. Oh, it's tragic. No direction, don't know where they are. And especially in their time of greatest need, everything seems to give way. It's so sad. But that's why there's so much beauty in what the psalmist says here, that knowing God, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, the clear direction of God. Roads laid and made in the heart, that clarity of direction, the path to real answers that transforms everything. And there is a confidence about the believer, not in themselves, but in the Lord. There's an order, there's a direction, there is one to whom we can go. Such a glorious element of what it means to be a believer. Your life has clear, God-given direction and purpose. Nothing is without meaning. And you say, well, how then are these roads made? How does it happen that people who are like that, their hearts as a wilderness, suddenly are brought onto that right path so that they know where they're headed, know what they're about, know what they're to do? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, when Paul was writing that under the inspiration of the Spirit, it's clear he had in mind Genesis 1 and creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And from that moment, the chaos disappeared, there was order, there was life creation. God saw that it was good. And that's what happens in the gospel. Into the chaos and darkness of a person's life comes the divine operation, the activity of the Holy Spirit, and all is brought together. And praise God that it is so. And it's this work which transformed the life of, of men like Saul of Tarsus. Into the chaos and darkness of his life, God shone in the face of Jesus Christ, just as it had been over the darkness at the beginning, so order was brought into the chaos of Saul's life. And it's true in the, the, the believer, you know, you see that so clearly. Things are set into place as the Holy Spirit does that wonderful work and brings to bear the truth of the Word of God. And you say, well, what is the Holy Spirit's work? What does it look like? Well, he works in us regeneration. Now, what does that mean? It means to be made alive. He also gives us gifts of repentance and faith. You know, Isaiah 40 is so helpful when it speaks there and helps us to think of repentance, especially as it's quoted in Matthew 3 as that which prepares the way of the Lord. 
Repentance prepares us to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It sets aside to make clear the way, to make a highway for God in our heart. And Isaiah 40, verse 4, speaks of how this is done. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The Holy Spirit comes and he begins to work and convict and change and transform. He convicts us of our sin. He convicts us of our need. And when we're puffed up and exalted in ourselves, thinking that we can handle everything, that we can look after ourselves, he lays us down. He flattens us so that we see that we have sinned, that we fall short of the glory of God. And that mountain of pride is laid low. And we're brought to see that we're helpless and that we're hopeless. And the Spirit convicts and draws us low, feeling as though we could never rise, that we are without hope. But then he raises us again. Remember what Simeon said to Mary the mother of our precious saviors, he held that baby in Luke 2, verse 34. Behold, this child, speaking of Jesus, is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The spirit levels, and the new road is made. Isaiah 40, verse 3, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The spirit works repentance. And also in this too comes regeneration, new life. The Spirit of God levels, but at the same time, He creates. And so He gives that direction, and it all comes in Christ, and it is a work that is only done by the Spirit of God. You know, man, people are still trying to save themselves. It looks in lots of different ways, you know, external things. It looks in a certain way, but the gospel tells us that redemption is the work of God alone. Salvation can only be brought to you by God's work in your life. And people, you know, they're trying all manner of lifestyles and philosophies and religions and gurus and material things. And they're trying to make sense and, and find that direction at their lives. And yet you just take a moment to look at this world around you. What a mess. What a mess we're in. Where is the, the path of direction? There is none. True salvation is a work of God and God alone. And God commands the light to come into the darkness. God commands order to be established in the chaos. And where does this lead? Well, for the individual who is taken hold of by the Lord, who is brought to hear the gospel, where the Spirit of God is at work, we're given new life. New desires, new purpose, new direction, a new way of thinking. 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But when God works, he creates a new man, a new creation, given understanding. And in 1 Corinthians 2.16, he's, he's given the mind of Christ. Christianity, as we know, is, is bound up in the truth of God, is uh, there in the Word of God. And so the Christian is caused to embrace this truth, and their whole thinking is clarified and grounded on the Word of God. 
And so there's a solid foundation. And the Holy Spirit works so that they see life as they have never seen it before. Their worldview is different. And the Spirit gives understanding. He illuminates the Word. He gives discernment. And the Gospel shows men and women themselves as they are. And they're now brought under God and in relationship to Him through Christ. And things are set in place. And they see sin as the, the cause of their ruin and their misery. And they see their own responsibility and accountability in that. They stop trying to blame everybody else. And they see the sinfulness of sin and the sadness and the separation that sin brings into life. They see that they've been in rebellion against God and far from Him. And they see that sin had cut them off from all of those blessings. They see the world as it is. And they see this world corrupted with sin and selfishness and jealousy and envy and all the rest. And so the world is a place of turmoil. The Spirit opens their eyes. And then they see the gospel and they see Christ and they see the Savior and they see his perfection and they see his saving work upon the cross and they see the solution that they desperately long for and they see that it's not just self-reformation that they needed but they needed the intervention of God and they needed a Savior. And they see how God sent his own son with a plan to redeem a people from himself from this sin-filled chaos. And how he has made the way open for sinners to come to God, to receive forgiveness and new life and eternal blessing beyond what they can imagine. And so then the word of God becomes from a closed book, becomes that book which is vital because it's God's word. A clear map of life. It explains why things are the way they are. And the precious remedy that is found in Jesus Christ alone. You know, if you're a believer tonight, there is no difficulty in understanding why the world is as it is. You know, if you're a believer, if you accept the truth of the Bible, you can see why the world is as it is. It's all there. A complete world and life view. And the Spirit enlightens us to see it. And the Spirit's work to make us new means that the gospel gives us that sense of direction. It shows us that we are strangers, that we are sojourners in this world, that we are headed to a, a better place. The believer sees that and they're not depressed by that because they're given to see that this is not the end. That the best life is still to come. They have a clear sense of that purpose and direction. They are headed home. For the unbeliever, they have no hope like that. They see death as the, the great calamity. But for the Christian, that is not so. And as they make their way by God's grace along that, in the time that God gives them in this broken world, they have the word of God and the promises of God, the principles with which to travel along this highway, the narrow path. And there's an order. And they're given a better way, a straight path. There's an understanding of the times. There is no need for wandering. There is that great purpose. Look at verse 11 of Psalm 84. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
The upright walk, the straight walk, is set by the path thereon, and it's all bound up in knowing and following Jesus Christ. It's the way of holiness. His people know what they are about because the Scriptures give them what they should be about, where their priorities should be. And the Scriptures give them the exhortations, the principles by which they should walk and by which they want to walk to please the God who has saved them. Now, as we draw it to a conclusion, I want to give you one great contrast with the other life. And that is this direction in the midst of darkness. You see, all these things are put to the test when troubles come, when calamities come, when trials come. And yet for the believer, that purpose, that direction remains clear even though things are hard. They're not left in the wilderness of despair with no place to turn. You know, I was reading uh, one hymn in the week which says this, I know not what may soon betide, or how my wants shall be supplied, but Jesus knows and will provide. Though sin would fill me with distress, the throne of grace I dare address, for Jesus is my righteousness. Though faint my prayers and cold my love, my steadfast hope shall not remove while Jesus intercedes above. Against me, earth and hell combine, but on my side is power divine. Jesus is all, and he is mine. You see, the highway is open, and Christ has set it in the believer's heart through the Spirit, and they can know that he hears and that he will stand with them. And that's why this picture is so precious in Psalm 84. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. You see, the Christian life not just brings order, but it brings refuge. And it brings a place to rest and rejoice, even in the midst of trials you see, the valley of Baca in this circumstance is helpfully translated as the valley of tears, the valley of sighing and sorrowing. You know, many like to get in discussions about the place and the purpose, but the conclusion is the same. It is a place of weeping. And notice he speaks of a valley. And in the Scriptures, a valley always carries the idea of being down in the depths. And when we are in a place that is closed, where we feel shut in, when there are trials and tribulations, when everything seems to be conspiring against us, maybe when we're miserable and disconsolate, the valley of weeping, it is then that the psalmist says that the people of God are able to make it a place of springs. Now we know what it is to be in a place where the springs of our tears are loosed. But the psalmist is actually speaking of these springs of being springs of deep joy, even in the valley. It's a remarkable thing that he's saying. And he does not hesitate to make that statement. It is something that is repeated throughout the psalms. And it has been the testimony of the people of God throughout the centuries. They speak of the, the great blessings of the Christian life, but particular blessings in times of trial. 
and they're able to speak about how the Lord was with them, even in the furnace of the trials. You know, it's easy to have a very cheerful view of life when the sun is shining, when all goes well, and it's all superficial, and when there's peace, and, you know, we're all there. But what happens when things go wrong? What happens when we find ourselves in the place of weeping? What keeps us then? The psalmist says, and the scripture testifies, that the people of God can triumph even in the valley. They're no longer victims, but they are resting in the guardian of their soul. They find refuge in the valley. In Christ, they are to be found more than conquerors. You think of that wonderful psalm, Psalm 23, when David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why is he able not to fear? Is it his own strength, his own resources? It is his own ability? No, he says, for you, speaking of the Lord, you are with me. Do you know, friends, when we are in the deepest, deepest distress, there is nothing that is as comforting as knowing that the Lord is with us, that he will not forsake us, and even in the valley, something there fills us with hope and with joy because we know that our shepherd will not abandon us. Think of Paul in Philippians 4. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, in effect, I may face many things in my life, many things around me, but I am what I am in Christ, and in him I will know the victory. Or you think of what he says in Romans 5, rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. That's a staggering thing to say to glory in tribulations, to glory in the valley. And you say, well, well, what's the secret? How do we do that? Well, there's no secret, friends. It's been my emphasis all the way through. It's the establishing of that divine way of life. It is knowing God. It is knowing that he is for you in Christ and that he is with you and that he won't leave you. And in the place of weeping, such who are on the way are given to think more of God, more of Christ. Their acute suffering refines what is really important and our trials are to cause us to throw ourselves on the Lord all the more. So that he can be glorified as he holds us and as he keeps us and as he brings us through. Because when people look at you and you're enduring even the, the depths of the valley and you're continuing to persevere and they say, well, how can you do that? And you say, it's the Lord. That's the only reason. Because he holds me and he keeps me. And you know, dear friends, we run to him and we rejoice to think of what Christ has done, that he's not unsympathetic towards us, that he loves us, that he prays for us, that he will lead us through. And when we think on him and we know that he understands and we know that he's able to keep us, it lifts us. 
When things go against us for the believer, the more they should drive us to Christ. And the more we know of him, the more we rest in him, the more we know his presence. It lifts our soul even in the darkness, even in the place of weeping. And we can rejoice. We're able to say with Paul, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The Christian will know the darkness of the valley. These things come, but this life is temporary and he is leading us through. The believer is able to say, I'm a child of God. I am a pilgrim of eternity. I know where I am headed. I know that glory awaits me and it is beyond all words and it is mine in Christ and it is secure in Christ. And he will keep me. You know, often we find that we want for ourselves in these types of circumstances, oh, if only I had a, a ten-point plan to get me through, or those things. But, you know, it's much simpler than that. We just need the Lord Jesus, and we need to keep our eyes focused on him, and we need to trust him and to take him at his word, even when we can't see the way ahead. We know that he has set that path in our hearts and he will lead us on through it. And so I finish tonight simply by asking you, do you have that hope? Do you know him? Do you have that divine order in your life that comes through faith in Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit? Do you know your direction in this world, that you are a pilgrim and that you are headed to glory? Do you know where you're headed? Is it clear to you? You know, maybe tonight there are things in your life and you're, you're fearful of the future. Well, if you are, be honest with the Lord and admit it to him. Tell him, plead with him, ask him. Ask him to do that work in you and ask him to make his own way in your heart that will bring you closer to himself. And once you know him through Christ, you know that you're safe in him, that whatever valley you might find yourself in, God in his grace will make it a well. And he will bring blessing even through the most difficult circumstances. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. It is a blessed hope, friends. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It is there for you. And the Lord is leading you to it. And so tonight, do you have that direction? Do you have that clarity? Has the Lord done that work in your heart? And if you do, and if you know him, you should rejoice that even though days may be dark, he is with you and he will lead you through. All the way, my Saviour leads me. What have I to ask beside? May it be that you know that for yourself. Amen.